Good morning. Well, today is the last message in the series, Then What? For the last five Sundays, we've been looking at that question from different angles. There are a couple of things we all have in common, regardless of your age or stage in life. We all have these things in common. Unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die, and we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And the question is, then what? So last Sunday, we began to look in the book of Revelation because the ultimate answer to that then what question is found in the last two books of the New Testament. I want you to take your Bibles and open God's Word with me to Revelation chapter 21. We started this last Sunday looking at Revelation 21. I told you that we would come back to it and, and finish it this week. And I explained to you last week that in order to really understand heaven as it's presented in the Bible, especially as it is presented in Revelation, that you need to think of heaven in two phases. There is the present heaven, the heaven you and I always think about. This is what the, the book of Revelation calls the first heaven. And every Old Testament saint and every New Testament believer who, who, who has died believing in Christ, they're now in that heaven. And every loved one that you have that has been a Christian, and they've put their faith in Christ, but they died, and they're now in heaven where you think of, the heaven that you consider when you think about that place, heaven, when our, our spirit leaves our body and we go to heaven. That's the, what the Bible calls the present heaven, or the first heaven. You might call it phase one. Now here's what we read in the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. We looked at this last week. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The Bible is explaining to us here that there will be a day when the present heaven, the heaven that you and I know about and think about, the heaven where my mom and my dad and my brother are now residing in the presence of Jesus, that the Bible says there's coming a day when the present heaven will pass away. Now, of course, we think of when we die of going up into heaven, and that is absolutely true right now. But the Bible teaches that there's coming a day when God will actually come down to be with us. Let me show you this in Scripture. It's the second phase of heaven, if you will, what the Bible calls a, a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He says, Now. Let me put that in, in reference for you. Remember last week, we gave you that graph, and we talked about uh, the different phases of, of history, and we talked about the second coming of Christ, and then after the second coming of Christ, is the thousand years the millennial reign of Christ, and then after that, that's the now referred to in verse 3. Now, after the thousand year reign of Christ, now there will, God will come down out of heaven and create a new heaven and a new earth. So the final two chapters of Revelation are describing eternity. Chapter 21 and chapter 22 are describing what eternity will be like for the people of God. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever been outside, and maybe early one morning, have you ever been outside and marveled at the beauty 
of a sunrise? Raise your hand if you've had that experience. Probably all of us have. Or have you ever stood outside in the evenings and been filled with wonder at the magnificence of a sunset? Raise your hand if you've done that. Of course you have. I really don't know which is my favorite, sunrise or sunset. They just both fill me with with wonder. And, And I'm just absolutely overcome sometimes by the beauty of what I see. Now, also let me ask you this. Have you ever stood and after a rain and been filled with awe at the beauty of a colorful rainbow. Ever marveled at that and wonder how in the world is that possible? Or have you ever been outside at night on a clear night and looked up and and saw the thousand twinkling lights in the sky and, and you just stand there in amazement and you feel so small when you look at the vastness and the beauty of this world? Now, if this side of heaven is so beautiful, what do you think the other side's going to be like? I mean, if this side takes our breath away, imagine what the other side of heaven is going to be like when we experience that. One day, you and I are going to get to see the other side of heaven. We're going to get to experience the other side of heaven. And I believe it will be beauty beyond our imagination. Now, let me... me, follow up with an illustration to tell you a little bit about my frustration today in trying to preach this message to you. How many of you have, now listen to how I'm asking the question, how many of you have never been to Hawaii? Raise your hand. You've never been to Hawaii. All right, a lot of you have never been to Hawaii. So describe it to me. Describe it to me. You've been to, if you've never been to Hawaii, describe it to me. Well, you could a little bit, right? You've seen pictures. I've seen pictures. I've watched Hawaii Five O. I, I, I can describe it to you a little bit, right? I've never been there, but I can describe it to you. But watch this. My perspective is going to be limited because I've never been there. Can I tell you my frustration in preaching the message today? I've never been there. And what I'm going to describe to you, I've never seen. And so my perspective is limited like your perspective. But thankfully, God has revealed to us His perspective about heaven. So in Revelation 21, God gives John a vision. And John puts in human terms descriptions of what he saw and what he experienced. So in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, John introduces the concept of a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we talked about last Sunday. Then in verses 9 through 27, which is what we're going to be looking at today, verses 9 through 27, John has a vision of the dazzling beauty of heaven. And he describes for us what heaven is actually going to be like. As he looks at the beauties of heaven, the beautiful description of heaven in verses 9 through 27. So there's three things I want to get to today as we look at heaven, try to describe it. And here's the first one. Number one, heaven will one day be on earth. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday, but I want to dig in a little bit more today. Here's the first point I want you to make sure you get. Heaven will one day be on earth. Look at verses 9 and 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of, uh, full of the seven last plagues, that's Revelation, 20, uh, Revelation 16, one of those angels came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. He's referring to heaven here, but he refers to heaven as the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
And then in verse 10, John says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain, great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, watch this, coming down out of heaven from God. The Spirit of God shows John that our final heavenly home will actually be here on earth. Now, make sure you're you're listening carefully. That one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And right now, we think about going up to heaven when we die. And for right now, that's true. But one day, the Bible teaches that God will actually come down to be with us. Much like the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that God came down and He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And when he creates this new heaven and a new earth, God plans to come down, that heaven will come down to us, and God will be with us. Now, listen, if that disappoints you, you need to keep reading and look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It's shown, this new heaven, this new city, this holy city, Jerusalem. It's shown with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. One of the obvious things about this heavenly city, as it comes down out of heaven, John says, one of the first things I noticed is this, it shone with the glory of God. One of the things that was so noticeable is this radiance of God that was all filling that city. Can I remind you in Exodus chapter 40? That when Moses assembled the tabernacle in the wilderness, that once the tabernacle was, was constructed and, and put up, the Bible says in Exodus 40, that the visible manifestation of God filled the tabernacle. John is telling us that when the new heaven and the new earth come about, That God will not be limited to an earthly tent, but God is going to fill the entire new heaven and new earth and that the glory of God will be manifested through the whole thing. This new Jerusalem, this heaven on earth, is going to be an incredible place. I don't want you to miss it. Now, As we try to describe it to you, I want you to notice beginning in verse 12, the significance of the number 12. In fact, as I read the text, verses 12 through 14, I want you to find out how many times, perhaps even circle the number 12 as I read. See how many times you see that number 12. Beginning in verse 12, I had uh, it, the city, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The number 12 is very significant in the scripture and very significant in the new heaven. If you were reading with me, if you were marking, you probably circled 12, the number 12, five times. And you'll see it a few more times as we read through the text. But in those three verses, you will see the number 12 five times. Twelve gates, twelve angels. And on the gates were the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The wall of the city had twelve foundations. 
And on them were the names of the 12 apostles. What is so significant about this number 12? Well, 12 conveys the idea of completeness and perfection. In fact, if you read through your Bible, you'll find the number 12 being used throughout the Bible. For example, go to the Old Testament and you'll find 12 cakes of unleavened bread were placed in the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter 24. There were 12 silver bowls. There were 12 bowls used. There were 12 bulls and 12 rams. There were 12 male lambs that were sacrificed. There were the 12 tribes of Israel. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sent spies into the promised land to spy it out. How many spies did he send in? 12. In Ezra chapter 8, as they were coming out of captivity, they chose some priests. They appointed some priests to lead the people. And there were 12 priests that were chosen and appointed. You see it all through the Bible. You see it all through the Old Testament. 12, 12, 12. But when you come to the New Testament, you see it as well. Luke chapter 2, Jesus went to the temple as a young boy. And for that, that temple experience he had as a young boy, guess how old he was? 12. How many apostles were there? There were 12 apostles. Jesus fed 5,000 and there were 12 basketfuls left over. In Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, there's the reemergence of the tree of life. The same tree of life that you see in, in the Garden of Eden, we're going to see in the new heaven and new earth. And guess what? The tree of life, the Bible says, will bear 12 crops of fruit every month. And by the way, how many months are in a year? There's 12. Twelve is something special in the Bible, and it's a special number in heaven. I want you to notice that it's not by accident that there are twelve gates and the names of twelve tribes of Israel. These twelve tribes of Israel were the people that God used to bring the Messiah into the world and to give us access to heaven and access to God. That they were they were so critical in us having access to God that the gates of heaven are named after these 12 tribes because God used these 12 tribes to bring about the Messiah into the world and give us access to Him and access to heaven. The 12 tribes of Israel. But also you see the 12 apostles are mentioned. Their names are immortalized on the foundation of heaven. They are the ones that took the good news of the Savior to the world. They are the ones that made this Savior known to the world. The twelve apostles. They are the ones also responsible for people who will be having access to heaven. So whenever we get to go to heaven, to this new, new heavenly city, when we walk in, we're going to be reminded of what we owe to the twelve tribes of Israel and to the twelve apostles. Because God used both the Old and the New Testament to give us the message of salvation and to give us access into heaven through Jesus Christ. See, the story is an Old Testament story. And it is a New Testament story. But really, it is just one story from the time of Genesis when sin entered the world. God has been pursuing us. And He used the Old Testament people and He used the New Testament people to bring about salvation and to make the gospel known and to birth the church. You are here today, ladies and gentlemen, because of the 12 tribes of Israel and because of the 12 apostles and the work that God did through them. So when we get to heaven, guess who's going to be honored and immortalized? The people who made it possible for us to have entrance into heaven. 
So heaven, here's the first point. Heaven will one day be on earth. Here's the second thing I want you to get. Number two, heaven will be a place of absolute perfection. This is my favorite. Heaven will be a place of absolute perfection. Pastor Greg Mott put it this way. He said, there will be a perfect me and a perfect you in a perfect place with a perfect God. That's pretty good. There'll be a perfect me and a perfect you in a perfect place with a perfect God. Heaven will be a place of absolute perfection. Now, this may very well be the most interesting thing I can share with you today about heaven. So I want to ask you to be sure to listen carefully. There are three special things I want you to understand about this absolute perfection of heaven. Three things. Number one, I want you to notice the size of heaven. Verses 14 through 17, here's what we read. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold measure, to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a what? Like a square, as long as it was wide. Now watch this carefully. He, this angel, measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. We're not exactly sure what that measurement is. Some translations will tell you that that means 1,400 miles. Some translations say that it means 1,500 miles. I'm going to use the 1,500 miles. So it's, uh, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia or 1,500 miles in length. And as wide and as high as it is long. To think about the size of heaven. It's going to be so large that the largest city in the world will seem like a tiny village. Plus, not only is it going to be 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles long. If you read the text carefully, it's going to be 1,500 miles high. Do you understand how high that is? Let me put that in perspective. I looked up on the NASA website and the International Space Station orbits our Earth at 227 nautical miles above planet Earth. 227 nautical miles. That's where the space station hangs out. Heaven is going to be 1,500 miles high. Nearly seven times higher than the space station that orbits planet Earth. The walls of heaven are going to be huge. Now, why does that matter? Though millions have come, there is still room for one. There's room at the cross for you, the Bible says. And in other words, heaven is going to be a place where there's room for anybody and for everybody. Because of COVID, we've all gotten used to this concept of limited seating, haven't we? Because of COVID, we, we become accustomed to 20% capacity or 50% capacity. And uh, we understand this concept of limited seating. Now, that's easing up a little bit now, thankfully. But, you know, there was a day when concerts would sell out. And there was a day when plays would sell out. There was a day when football games would sell out. But even when there was a sellout, there's still limited seating, Right? Because the building or the, con- or the concert venue or the stadium can only hold so many people. So even in a sellout, it's still limited. 
Let me tell you something. The size of heaven indicates that there will never be a sellout. There will always be room for anyone and everyone who wants to go there. Now, my Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So that's the size of heaven. It's going to be so massive, so large, beyond really our comprehension, that there's room for anyone and for everyone. But now I want you to focus on the shape of heaven in verse 16. This is where, for me, it gets so interesting. The shape of heaven. Look at the text, verse 16. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, 1,500 miles roughly, in length and as wide and as high as it is long. In other words, heaven is shaped like a perfect cube. It's the same width and depth and height. It's, it's, It's a perfect cube. Now, why would that be significant? Why would that be so important? Go back with me for a moment to the Old Testament days and think, and even in the New Testament days, and think about the temple. In the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. That was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. According to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20, that the Holy of Holies was also a perfect cube. It was 20 cubits long and 20 cubits wide and 20 cubits high. It was a perfect cube, and that was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt on earth. Now think about this. In the earthly Jerusalem, or the heavenly Jerusalem, in the heavenly Jerusalem, the the glory of God is not going to be limited to a tiny room, but the, the entire heaven will be the Holy of Holies. The entire heaven will be a square cube where God in His glory will dwell and God in His glory will be manifest and we will have access to every part of God in that place, the new heaven. Because the whole thing will be a holy of holies. Then I want you to see the splendor of heaven. Verses 18 through 21, look at this. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And then all the stones are listed. Then I want you to go down to verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. In our mind's eye, we try, don't we, to understand what all that means. In our mind's eye, we try to comprehend how beautiful that's going to be. It's it's just the foundations are decorated with expensive and exquisite stones. The, The massive gates will each be made of a singular pearl. And the streets will be made of absolute pure gold. I mean, it's, it's going to defy description. But John puts it in human terms, trying to, trying to describe what he sees. But I, I believe it's far superior to anything you and I could ever imagine. But when we come to verse 21, I have to call this to your attention. When we come to verse 21, I, I need to clarify one point. Even if you don't know the Bible very well, even if you're not a Christian, uh, you probably have heard about verse 21. Because heaven is described in verse 21 this way. Look at the text. 
The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, and the great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. When people talk about heaven, they often talk about pearly gates and streets of gold. In fact, we, we have a, a Baptist hymn, or a hymn in the Baptist hymnal, uh, that, that I grew up singing, When We All Get to Heaven. You want to sing it? No. Okay. Uh, my, my name's not Fred. I can't do that. When we all get to heaven, here's, here's what the song says. One of the verses says, Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. And then the chorus says, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. That song is absolutely true. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to tell you. That song is absolutely true. But when it talks about streets of pearly gates and streets of gold, it's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, not the present heaven. See, too often we think about the present heaven, we think, well, I bet he's walking on streets of gold today. I, I, when St. Peter meets me at the pearly gates, now, the Bible doesn't describe the present heaven that way. So probably some of you are sitting there thinking, way to go, Pastor, way to ruin it for me. I've always thought of heaven as streets of gold and pearly gates, and one day it will be. The new heaven, the new earth, will have streets of gold and pearly gates. But when you get to heaven, the present heaven, you are not going to be disappointed. And you're not going to be concerned if the streets are gold or the gates are pearl. You're going to be excited that you're in the presence of God and you're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven will be a place of absolute perfection. Now, the third thing is this. Heaven will be a place of worship and fellowship with God. Verse 22 through 27. Please read this carefully. One of the intriguing features of this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and new earth, is what it does not have. What it does not have. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The temple in Jerusalem, of course, was the most sacred place on planet earth. It was the earthly enclosure for the Shekinah glory of God. But there is no need for such a building in the new heaven and the new earth. Because the entire city will be indwelt by the Shekinah glory of God. There is no need for a temple. For God Himself will be present in the new heaven and the new earth. Another thing about that heavenly city is that there will be no need for an external light source. I love this in verse 23 through 25. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will, not, there will be no night there. The darkness 
that we experience in our world will not be in the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no night anymore. There will never be any darkness in the city of God because the presence of God and the presence of Jesus will light up the entire city. You don't need a sun. You don't need a moon because the presence of God will bring light to the entire city and there will never be any darkness whatsoever in heaven. But the biggest thing that will not be in this city is sin. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to look at me for a moment. Can I say something to you as your pastor? Look at me for a moment. Let me say something to you. God can't and won't allow sin into heaven. And that's why not everyone will be going to heaven. The Bible says only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. See, there's false teaching going around that something called universalism, that everybody's eventually going to make it. Everybody's eventually going to be in heaven. We'll find our own path and we'll all get there eventually. That is not what verse 27 says. Verse 27 says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, and nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't think you're going to get into heaven because of your personality or because of your family background, or because of your good deeds, or because of your contributions. You will not get into heaven on any of that. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to heaven. Because God cannot, and God will not allow sin into heaven. And that's where you and I have a problem, don't we? If God will not allow sin into heaven, how are we ever going to get there? Let me make it more personal. How am I ever going to get there if God won't allow sin into heaven? If you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 22, and in verse 23, and in verse 27, Jesus is referred to, but He's not referred to using the name Jesus. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. Would you look at the text with me? Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus, are the temple. Verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. Verse 27, nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know this, but let me remind you that in the Old Testament days, the Lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And when Jesus died on the cross, He was the Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, He was the Lamb of God dying for your sins and for mine. Remember what John the Baptist said when he first laid eyes on Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 29? He said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's the answer. 
the Lamb of God, watch this, that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God that is able to take away your sin and mine. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's why Romans 3.22 talks about a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus to all who believe. It is not a righteousness that comes from within. There is a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the only people, listen to me, if you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. Those watching online, please hear this. If you don't hear anything else, make sure you get this. The only people who will be allowed into heaven are those who have exchanged their sins for His righteousness. That's the only people that will be allowed in. You have exchanged your sins for His righteousness. There's been a faith transaction that has occurred. The only people that will be allowed into heaven are the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. A faith transaction has occurred. They put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for their sins, that He can take away their sins. And when you put your faith in Christ, you are exchanging your sins for His righteousness. I did that when I was 11. And I tell you that when I was 11, I wasn't into a lot of bad stuff. I was a pretty good kid. But I recognized that even at age 11, I was still a sinner. And when I was 11, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I exchanged my sin for His righteousness. And on that day at Clifton View Baptist Church, when 1971... My name was written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. Not because I I was going to be a preacher. Not because I've done some good things in my life. Not because I was raised in a Christian family. Not because I was baptized. My My name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Because on that day, at that place, I exchanged my sin for His righteousness. And the Bible says the only people who will be allowed in heaven are the people who have done that because nothing impure and no one impure will be allowed into heaven in the presence of a holy God. And so now when Jesus looks at Keith Shorter or when God looks at Keith Shorter, he does not see Keith the sinner. He sees Keith covered in the blood of Jesus. My sin has been separated from me, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? I didn't ask you if it's on the church roll. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? I didn't ask you if you live a good life or if you've given a lot of money or if you've done a lot of good things. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Is there a time in your life, is there a place in your life where you know That you exchanged your sin for His righteousness. The only people who will be in heaven are the ones who have done that. I want you to be one of those. I don't want you to miss it. And today you can exchange 
your sin for his righteousness. Would you bow your heads? I want to tell you how you can do that. The Bible says you do that by faith. By faith, you claim that Christ died on the cross for you. It's a transaction of faith. By faith, you accept what he did on your behalf. By faith, you believe he died for your sins and died in your place. And if you claim it and believe it, the Bible says God will conduct this transaction. Trading in your sin for his righteousness. You can do that right where you are. You can do that right now, praying and asking Christ to come into your life. You can do that as we sing. You can stand and come forward and let me pray with you. Let me lead you in that sinner's prayer where you can know for sure. There was a time, there was a place, there was a day when I absolutely, by faith, traded in my sin for His righteousness. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I hope you'll do that today. Father, in the name that is above every name, In the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you've made a way that anyone and everyone can step into the glories of heaven and spend eternity with you. May someone do that today, I pray in Christ's name.